0: Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there's Steve. Wicked. Wicked. And, and today we are returning to uh, anthology discussion. Fuck uh, that. We're returning to New England. Uh, yeah, sure. You can turn it into New England. Uh, today we're talking about Wicked Weird, an anthology of New England horror writers. Wicked Edited, Weird. Wicked Weird. Edited by Amber Fallon. Scott T. Godsword and David Price. Apologies if we pronounce anybody's name incorrectly.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's how you pronounce Price.
0: Yeah. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Awkward humor. Good night, everybody. <laughs> um, so, for those of you who have uh, joined the ranks of the, the Asylum since the last time we did an anthology, the way we do anthologies is we break them up into multiple episodes, I believe. This anthology has 21 stories, so we're going to break them down into five, six stories each episode, and uh, we're going to go through each one in order. That's because we want to give uh, credit to every author. Right. Let's get right to it. This book was released uh, late last month, I believe. So we're. Um, yeah, it came out. In um,
1: concurrence with Necronomicon, so ah.
0: um, there was a pre-order
1: up on Amazon, which is what I did, and then it was released during Necronomicon, and obviously because I got the uh, the the digital pre-order, I was unable to actually get my copy at Necronomicon. I had to wait till I came back and download it. Ah, <laughs> but um. There is actually, it's kind of weird because we do, we've done in the past, we've kind of shied away from it recently, but we've done a lot of anthologies. Mm -hmm. And in in a lot of the anthologies that we end up doing, we end up seeing a lot of the same names um, bandied about in these anthologies. You know, every once in a while you get something from a uh, press that is not part of the, I don't know, weird network or whatever, and you get different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but for generally, there's a stable of, of uh, short story authors that contribute to these things. And you see a lot of familiar faces in a lot of anthologies. Not so for this anthology. Mainly because the restriction is that in order to have um, submitted, you had to be from New England. Obviously. Put out by the New England Horror Writers Association. Yes, or just the New New England horror writers, right? They're not associated,
0: apparently. They're, they're, they're <laughs> the New England horror writers separated. Well, maybe it's the New
1: England Horror Writers Society or League, or Guild. Who knows?
0: Anyway, um, so uh, there are there are a few names. There that are a we... couple
1: of names that come up that. That you do recognize, but for the most part, these are people that I have not heard of before. I'm not saying that means anything, because who the fuck am I, <laughs> honestly? Um, but it is nice
0: to to get quote unquote fresh voices. Who who the fuck are you? You are the co-host of the best no-budget podcast on the internet. That's true. So there you go. That is I who woke you up are. Up in
1: the Soho doorway, a policeman knew my name. <laughs>
0: All so, right. The,
1: our first story is "Those Beneath, Comma Devour, Period," by Victoria Dalpy. Dalp. Dalp. Sorry, Victoria. Man, that's why I had bad time with Japanese names. These yeah. fucking New England names are killing me.
0: That's right, Mister Rosenstein. <laughs> I,
1: I'm in Boston. Hi.
0: <laughs> All right. So this uh, this story takes place, begins at the climax. and We often discuss how one of the most important stories in an anthology is the first one. that tells you kind of what to expect. Yes. Now, caveat going into this anthology, um, my my view of it is a little lackluster, as, as I don't know if it's the stories themselves are, are missing something, or I just wasn't in the mood uh, for for these types of horror stories. Everything we, we've we read is solid, uh, but there's just something there's, I can't put my finger on that's that's missing. Okay,
1: there's no connective tissue in this anthology. Right, this is a um, general anthology. The, like I said, the stipulation for being able to submit to this thing was you had to be from New England, or be living in New England. Um, usually, with a lot of the anthologies that we read, they're themed somehow, um, and there, and that's the connection between the stories. Is they're you know they're paying tribute to Glackey, or this is the great old ones have destroyed the world, or these are all West Wild West stories, and there's there's like something that's thematic and connective. And honestly, I thought it was going to be everything taking place in New England, but it's not. Right. Um, It's the writers who are who are the uh, the common denominator here. So being from New England. So that is kind of strange. Usually with these things, um, there is some sort of connective tissue that we just don't have in this anthology.
0: Right. Right. It's um, it's similar to Sycorax's daughters in a way. Where, you know, the, the theme or the, the, the purpose for putting together the anthology is is rather broad. Right.
1: To give people who may not... Well, that one was to give people who don't have a voice a voice. I mean, that's like on right. the title. Right. And, and you know, I would almost say that that's... <clears throat> pardon me. Um, similar to this. Um, just because... And like I said, who the fuck am I? But I haven't heard of a lot of these people. Right. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, pe- well, you know, people should be given a, a voice and this is a great, um, vehicle for that because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cool anthology. So it just go into this. You're not going into this thinking, um, that all these stories are going to happen in New England
0: because or, the, or have any the, other type of connection. It's not a right. Lovecraftian anthology. It's not a, an anthology <laughs> right, based on a specific uh, character or a specific author or anything like right. that. It is a generalized collection of uh, weird, weird fiction from New England.
1: Yeah, and it's, and it's definitely got the broad definition of weird
0: mm-hmm.
1: going. So the first story, those beneath comma devour period, um, is kind of like what happens after the window, the window, the three lobe die.
0: Yeah, kinda. We, we we pick up at the at the climax of the story where all the really quote unquote scary shit has already happened. Yeah, uh, so
1: this is kind of like the
0: aftermath. Right, right. We get uh, we get the story told in in, in flashbacks um, as as uh, the main character, the narrator, is processing what just occurred. Right.
1: It, it reminds me of two things. Uh, the first is the story by. Um, someone who's currently talking um, had written, and it wasn't me. But you were currently talking. No, no <laughs> I mean, just in general. Reminds me of one of your stories that you had written. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminds me of um, that, like, mysterious John Constantine thing that always comes up.
0: Yeah, but this one just didn't give me that, that vibe because that, that character is um uh, the New that Castle. yeah, the Newcastle incident. But uh the Constantine esque character is not the point of view character. We're getting Chaz. <laughs> which is kinda cool. Yeah, which is which is kinda cool, but you know, I just I don't know. It
1: You mean Rosencrantz and Chaz are dead?
0: Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I mean, it's there. It's, it's solid. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's, like, poorly written or anything like that. It's just, especially once I got to the end, it just kind of left me cold. And we're going to try not to spoil any of these.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that's probably because, like you said, the bad shit already went down. And usually in these um, in these stories... When the bad shit goes down, that's when you get the window, the window, the three-lobed eye, you know, and, and fade to black. Right. Right. in um, this, this case. What this is like the, peop- the, the people um, involved dealing with the consequences of their actions, which you really don't get
0: a lot of. No, no, you, you really don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's unique done. in that respect.
1: And these consequences don't always have to be catastrophic or, or you know huge in terms of um, events. like for in this case it's more um, the scars that these people will have to deal with with the rest for the rest of their lives
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it's bleak it's not exciting and I think that is it's, it's more putting off because that climax already happened mm-hmm and and these people, like, how, how are you going to top that? You can't. <laughs> you have to, like, come down from it and process it, like you said, and, and you process it and you realize, wow, life blows. How am I ever going to recover from that? Mm-hmm. And really, that's what the story is. There you go.
0: All right, next up on our list is uh, A Strange Haze by Matthew M. Bartlett. Uh, the first of the familiar names. Yes. Um now the hook of this story is 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 rather intriguing. Uh a, a the narrator uh makes is given an old polaroid camera and is in in some ways kind of like me uh who manages to piss people off just by talking. <laughs> uh so so the narrator makes a hobby Out of carrying this Polaroid camera, and when their unsuspecting audience becomes, you know, offended or outraged by whatever came out of their mouth, uh, the narrator snaps a photo, kind of like an internet troll IRL, right, right, kind of like click ah reaction, you know, and and collects these photographs uh, on the wall of his apartment. Then the, the scene suddenly shifts and the narrator ends up going to his, uh, sister-in-law's funeral. Uh, his brother, because of his personality, he's kind of estranged from, from his brother. But, you know, he's like, yo, look, man, you're my brother. I'm going to be there for you. I, you know, your wife is dead. I'm going to hop the first plane to the West coast. And, and say something inappropriate and, over the and, casket, right? Say something inappropriate over the casket, but you know it's that's just that's that's how I do.
1: Yeah, that, that's a uh, narrator being narrator, right? Which is kind of a very New England thing. It's Manny being Manny. That was like the big thing with uh, the Red Sox back in the day. Manny being
0: Manny, <laughs> and and that becomes that you know that's that's an interest that was an interesting hook into the character. That they are uh, socially dysfunctional, but... Like,
1: almost, like, on purpose. Like, they found yeah, out they, they they have this effect, and then they, like, play it up.
0: Right. Right. It's one of those things that, you know, they're not apologetic about it at all. It's just like, you know, I... Yeah, this is... You know, I accept this about me. Tough shit. Right. Exactly. Pretty much. And, you know, and it creates an interesting dynamic. And then... Bartlett flips it on its head and and it goes off in a completely different direction. It's it's kind of a
1: a consequence, well, more like a karmic consequence. Not in the classical sense of karma, but in the pop culture sense of karma,
0: I guess. And, you know, that's that kind of rubs me the wrong way, do you know, that that pop culture sense of karma. But, you know, that's a topic for another time, I'm sure. Uh yeah, it it does, but the the turn is, is almost kind of an about face in tone of the story. You know, you expect it to go one way, and then, you know, the the narration just sharply turns on its heel, and it's balls deep in just strangeness. Well, I
1: mean, it is called the the wicked weird, right? Not, not right. The w- wicked uh, hitting the tropes.
0: <laughs> well, you know, there's there's a little bit of that later. Um, so. You know, it's really it's really difficult to speak of it without spoiling too much of it. Because, you know, when it takes its uh, about face and introduces this new element uh, to the story uh, and goes with it, it, it becomes, you know, the major propelling action of the story.
1: That it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it definitely is a, I mean, there's no other way to say it. it, it it's a poetic justice story mm-hmm. at its heart and you can call it an instant karma or you can call it poetic justice or whatever you want to call it but um that's kind of what that's what it is it's like this guy is an asshole and these are the the
0: psychedelic consequences of acting like that right absolutely and, and I think I think the story and I'll get to this once we cover the third story uh because I think believe these first three have um a, a kind of a limitation to them. Um, and we'll talk about that as, as a group of stories after All we right. cover the next story, which is A Song of War and Death by Eric Eric A. Nunnally. Nunnally. Or Nunnally. Thank you. I was having a little bit of a difficult time reading my own handwriting for a second. It. Gotcha. <laughs> I got you covered. Uh, the premise of this story is you know, Without giving too much away, it is kind of the, the classic uh, ghostly army story. It's, it's kind of a, a riff on the old song, Ghost Riders in the Sky, uh, after a fashion. If you remember that song from the Blues Brothers. No, that was in um, 2000s, sorry. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know anything about that movie because that movie blew and I saw it once and don't care about it.
0: But I'm sure you know the song. I do know the song i mean and, and it did have I, I grew up in the seventies and eighties I right. know the song <laughs> right so it it has that kind of vibe you know of of the song with with its own kind of twist um and we our our main character is is kind of a a marine in the nineteen eighties who just kind of joined the core uh for giggles, i guess i mean. <laughs> There's, uh, well,
1: he joined the Corps because he was in a bad situation and saw joining the Marie Corps as his way
0: out. Yep. But, um, yeah, this one really wasn't my cup of tea. And and here I'll bring up the, 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 the point here. Um, I, I think the first three stories were hindered by their length. Uh, these are probably some of the shortest stories in the book. And I, I think... Um, yeah, I think the word count may have, you know, put put like a shackle on some of these things. Like, you know, pieces might be missing. Um, those beneath Devour, you know, probably not so much. I mean, it kind of works a little bit better at that shorter length. But, you know, A Strange Haze seemed like it should have been a longer piece. More of a, more of a slow burn kind of thing. Uh, dealing with the, that relationship between the narrator and his brother. Uh, and a song of war and death is is short and as as a result of that what should be like a build up of tension uh doesn't occur uh, you know minor spoiler it's it's a sequence of uh trench warfare which you know seemed to me should be you know really you know a lot of build up before the actual release of of any type of violence, and and it just didn't seem like the, the tension was there in this. There was a lot of great um, alienation and kind of forlornness of a, of a forbidden land, forbidding landscape. But uh, yeah, I think once we started getting to the actual meat and potatoes of the story, uh, there was there was a degree of tension that just wasn't really there.
1: Yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's definitely a cool idea. I think these three stories were very like uh, old school twilight zone-ish.
0: Mhm.
1: And and you know, well, that's a a lot of those are really short form too, well they all are. You know, they're a half hour and you're telling um a massive story in a half hour and sometimes um that time constraint or word count constraint or whatever, I think yeah, you're right, it you could get in the way. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: Right, like both of these, um, you know, all all of these could be longer pieces, uh, novelette length. Um, you know, not being familiar with two out of the three writers in this in this triptych of stories, um, you know, it just seems to me that these would be better served in a longer form. And you know, every once in a while you run across a story like that that, you know, I kind of wish this was like a a standalone thing, and you sometimes you know the old saying sometimes is less is more but uh i think in this case more is more <laughs> well
1: <laughs> i guess it depends on what you're trying to do like i right. said if you're trying to build tension mm-hmm. um you know you, th- th- there's a lot especially like in a song of war and death where you have to explain the weird situation and then extract horror from that situation, um, beyond just the normal horror of, of trench warfare, but in along with, I guess, the horror of trench warfare without Mm -hmm. giving it away. Right. Um, you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot that needs to be done in that story and it was, um, maybe 10 pages long.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was a lot of ground that was covered in that short period of time. Um, and, and the ending of it was was okay in that t- kind of Twilight Zone tales from the crypt sort of way, um, but yeah, I think I think it would have been better served to to have a little more tension um, before the, the before the horror, um, kind of a psychological effect to it. Speaking mm. of psychology, uh, that brings us to our next story, Salt Cave by Morgan Sylvia uh now this is this is a odd kind of story this is kind of a post-apocalyptic sort of thing um, uh, in in Maine and uh it becomes a bit of a trip down memory lane for our mysterious narrator
1: yeah this one this one did a really good job I thought of evoking um the setting and the kind of hopelessness of the setting mm-hmm it was kind of semi post apocalyptic. It was more of us of a of a minor apocalypse, right? Seems. Right. The <laughs> the
0: world had had definitely definitely changed. It had changed
1: exactly, in in like, a uh, big way. Yeah, maybe like Trump got reelected, and it just went all to hell in a handbasket. But people were still milling about. They weren't like all it wasn't all gamma world.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you don't really necessarily have to have um, Gamma World to to have an apocalypse, and you don't yes, have you, to necessarily.
1: You do. you do.
0: Well, you don't have to have Gamma World to have an apocalypse. You can, but you have to have an apocalypse to have Gamma World. Um, yeah, this was kind of like I don't know, uh, maybe Children of Men sort of thing, where where the apocalypse really isn't much of you know a world ending thing. It was just like a, a, a sudden and drastic change to the way people lived. I mean, by and large, life proceeds as normal. There's just some things that are a little bit different. Yeah, but uh, I think this one was a, was a fairly decent uh, play on the kind of lost civilization trope that we see a yeah. lot in, in in weird fiction.
1: With uh with a little bit of Insmouth thrown in there, a good measure. Yeah, a little bit
0: of Insmouth thrown in <laughs> thematically there.
1: Thematically, not like really. There's no fish people in this story,
0: right? Exactly. It's a, it's a different sort of thing. Um, yeah, but like you said, it does have kind of the the uh, evoking the setting really well. Um, just wandering just the part where they're wandering through the woods looking for the salt cave. Yeah. Um did did a really good job of just being out in in nature. And and nature in this in this particular case was not uh foreboding. Uh kind of like in, in the Song of War and Death being out in the wilderness was was kind of bleak and foreboding. And in this story uh, being out in the wilderness is just kind of a thing, uh, and you get kind of this evocative beauty of nature uh, with something sinister festering underneath. But just like Maine, just just like me. <laughs> well, I've never been to Maine, so that you might be spot on there. And and Maine is, you know, beautiful on the outside, but Maine's rides a hell to mouth. the car. <laughs> Maine's a hellmouth. That's Stephen King. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean but in a lot of cases, these types of stories they stick somebody out in the woods and the woods are always dark shadows and you know
1: <laughs> Yeah, but like the woods like you know, New England in the woods in winter. Mm hmm. That sucks.
0: <laughs> right. But this is early <laughs> but you spring.
1: But you, you don't need to have like foreboding for shadows and like distant wolf packs to bring the tension. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it. It's, it's cold, even early spring. It's fucking cold,
0: <laughs> right? But but even then, our city slicker narrator, you know, takes it all in stride. It's not like a, a grumbling about being out there. Um, where, where you see a lot of, quote-unquote, city slicker narr- uh, narrators in the wilderness. Well, wow, so yeah. she's from Boston. Of course, she's right. not going to grumble about that. Well, yeah, Boston is basically a wild wilderness anyway. <laughs> it's a hell mouth. <laughs> it is all, the entirety of New England is a hell mouth.
1: Especially Connecticut.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: That's a whole different kind of hell mouth, Con-
0: Connecticut, Connecticut has a weird sort of... Uh, uh, temporal displacement going on, and it feels like it feels like it takes you forever to get across this tiny ass little state. <laughs> it does. It really, it does. <laughs> it, it does. And
1: all I can think of is every time I I do that is that um like the, it was like the early eighties Saturday Night Live when they had Jim Belushi on mm-hmm. like when it was just like bleak right <laughs> it was like the second cast the second major cast um with like julia louis dreyfus and jim belushi and and uh they had um they had the uh, white rappers
0: mm-hmm. do you remember that no that one i don't remember
1: uh they were from like uh they're from like uh <laughs> some somewhere in, around in north Conne- northern connecticut <laughs> or like Central Connecticut. Anyway, I digress. You cut all that shit out. <laughs> no, I'm leaving that one in. Of course you will.
0: <laughs> all right, so yeah, Salt cave. Um, you know the climax of this story, you know, to try to be spoiler free is that the narrator does have a uh, a mysterious past and she comes kind of comes to terms with it. so there's your there's your Insmith comparison. Uh, that you made earlier and kind of an you know an interesting turn of a sort uh from the usual way this is approached in weird fiction uh, the traditional way so bit of a non-traditional approach yeah, to it, the
1: story yeah it's a, it's a little bit like um like uh some of the the uh ways the stories resolve themselves in uh in the Wild Sage book. Mhm. Um, where instead of the the usual ending that, that you come to know and love and expect, you have like a twist. Of a, a twist upon the trope, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a, a twist upon the trope. And and it works out pretty well. And you get the the same kind of uh the sa the the same kind of ending of sorts, but uh more of an upbeat kind of ending this story is is for for weird tale is is actually surprisingly upbeat <laughs>
1: yeah, well that's what I'm saying like Gibbons was had a lot of those upbeat endings right you, you you're seeing the path that it's going on and at the end um, you're like oh well that wasn't that bad uh, how nice <laughs> okay so the universe isn't completely uncaring
0: right right <laughs> and and that's and you know, that's a nice thing to have happen when you read a piece of weird fiction is go, oh, good for them. Every once in a while you can have like you know, a win.
1: Just, there could be a win. You
0: know, there's just this once, nobody died. <laughs> well, I think the guy... Well, died. no, that's spoilers. <laughs> Cutting you off right there. That's spoilers.
1: Good. See, you can get rid of that if you get rid of that shit I said about Connecticut.
0: No, we're leaving the shit about <laughs> Connecticut in. Fuck Connecticut. <laughs> No, I was born
1: in Connecticut
0: Uh, We apologize to any (laughs) of the writers In this anthology who might be from Connecticut Uh, We're sorry you live in Connecticut (laughs) Uh, It brings us to Story number five on our list The Sweetness and the Psychic By L.L. Sodes Uh, Sores Oh, Sores Ah, see Fucked up my own handwriting L.L. Sores or Sorus.
1: It's probably Sor nah, maybe. Yeah. He's probably from Connecticut.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep, we're on the blacklist now, baby.
1: Yep.
0: All right, so Unlike Connecticut. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, that's unfair. Now now if any of if this book was uh, an anthology of Belgian horror writers. We'd spend most of the episode dissing on Belgium, period. And France for good reason. For and, good and, and France for good measure. Um, this is a bit of a mystery story. It's um, it's a bit. It is a mystery story. Yeah. It's
1: a like a psychic detective story. Or,
0: uh, or a, a normal. Detective. Yeah, a cult detective. Uh, and we have a missing child... Someone contracted, we, I don't, you know, it's never really said whether or not the narrator is actually a detective or not, a private eye, uh, some type of, I guess a private eye in, in the case of like, you know, Philip Marlowe or, or Sam Spade who, you know, yeah, they might have a license, but, you know, their detecting is, is bordering on uh, criminal activity. But uh, it, seems the, it seems that uh, our, our protagonist, our detective, uh, is working for, like, a crooked politician or a mob boss or something. Uh, just Or someone from Connecticut. <laughs> they have a house in Martha's Vineyard. Uh,
1: Martha's Vineyard is in Massachusetts. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so it's still, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a hell mouth in itself. Now, the stole story opens up uh, with uh, the the seedy motel and you know a, a blind psychic sitting in a chair. You know, I'll I'll tell you. You know, if you pay me, you know, you know, forty dollars, sixty dollars, hundred dollars. Okay, I'm gonna tell you now.
1: Yeah, it's definitely got that noir feel to it.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, especially you know, and, and and the description is not you know, overwrought, like you see in a lot of weird tales. Um, you know, they'd be talking about stains in the carpet and, you know, bizarre similes for the paint on the walls. Uh, but you get little odds and ends, you know, shabby chair, shabby clothing. He goes to get the psychic a glass of water and the water's yellow coming out of the pipes. You know, it's just, and all of that, you know, builds together, and you're able to assemble this like seedy, cheap motel room uh, on the side of the road.
1: Yeah, I guess it's got like a little bit of um, of noir and a little bit of Southern Gothic to it. Mm-hmm. This story is set in Missouri. It's got like that, that that like just that feeling of 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 just like a place
0: being oppressive, right? Just. Just being there, you know that kind of small town, the oppressiveness of a of a small to medium sized town um, the psychic's advice you know leads our detective to a house where you know he discovers the best clue he's had in months uh, to finding this missing child and just from from the the introduction of that clue uh actually makes for a uh, a, a better pacing to it because you know it, it is a mysterious clue. Uh, the detect and and you get the weird, you get the weird house vibe to the the rundown mansion uh, mm-hmm. sort of vibe, and and then to kind of turns into you know it it, it runs across that 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 uh, one of the tropes of weird fiction with the you know. Weird house vibe right. I definitely don't want to spoil this one, but this is yet another one that uh really could have stand stood a longer treatment uh you know I, I would I would read the sweetness and the psychic as a as a novel tell you the truth, but then again I do kind of dig detective fiction and
1: yeah that's like your your uh that's your thing right there' because always when we read these things i can I can tell. Which is the one you're going to love? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm that predictable in my taste, am I? Yeah, no, I just know what you like. Well, I mean, we've been doing this four years. Exactly. It's one o'clock time for lunch. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would say this is, this is my favorite story in the anthology so far. And the final story we're going to look at in this episode is A Feast of Flies by Steve Van Sampson. Yep. Uh this is a, a weird western. Uh some desperados are on the run camping uh in the in the wilderness. Uh, yeah, they're
1: they're on their way to Tucson?
0: Dallas. They're Dallas. going to Dallas.
1: They're they're they're, they're uh I think they, they just botched a job and they're on their way to Dallas to lay low.
0: Right, lay uh, low, pick up something else, you know, maybe get, maybe get
1: another, yeah. Get 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 another thing to do, and uh, but there it's definitely like a uh, it's the gang at its uh, nadir rather than its apogee.
0: Right. And definitely. You've got, you've
1: got like the uh, the plucky cook,
0: right? You all, all of your all of your cowboy yeah, or desperado. Yeah, your cowboy
1: guys are there.
0: Yeah, you're. You know, get your vaqueros and. Then your are bandits and whatnot, and your Tracker, who's in uh, Cavalry Greys. Yeah. Cavalry Greys, excuse me.
1: Very, very easy to to uh, to put all this
0: whole thing in your mind. Mm-hmm. And at the risk of spoiling it, it does become kind of the devil at the campfire trope of the weird Western. Yes. And it, it's handled pretty well. I mean... You know, it's the the mysterious stranger is is all over uh, weird westerns. Uh, we reviewed uh, what was there's Edge of couple. Sundown. Yeah, we has been a couple, yeah, yeah. Um, that had a couple, quite a few mysterious stranger stories in it, um, yeah. and also well, well, Nicole read, Gibbons' uh, curse.
1: Read uh, Tanzer's Vermilion's got like its share of mysterious stranger happenings.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it's definitely a it's it's definitely a weird
0: west thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely like hit fires on all the 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 cylinders and and hits all the marks of a of a classic weird western.
1: Yeah, it would actually probably make a pretty good one shot for a uh, Down Darker Trails Call of Cthulhu scenario.
0: Mm, kind of or, or the end of a Dar- Down Darker Trails scenario because really what the most of the action is, you know, post sanity law. <laughs>
1: Um, that's what i'm saying it'd be like it it would you'd have to get away to get you to that point where this story begins Mm -hmm. like the the uh the robbery gone bad or whatever yeah you know like the uh the reservoir dogs part Mm -hmm. of it right right and it definitely is a couple a couple of your posse npcs have been have been uh had to be left behind in the desert right that sort of thing yeah, and then, you know, the, the, the last five, four or five of you are, are making your way across to, to Dallas to, to uh, recoup. And then... Uh,
0: right, and, and get and, to the, the, the second quest of the, the what you think is a campaign.
1: Right. <laughs> and then that dude shows up.
0: <laughs> Can't
1: right. quite see his face, but when you do, it's gaunt.
0: Right. Everything is gaunt. Yes, and, and he had, He carries no weapons, but he has a. He has a friend. Yes,
1: he does have a friend.
0: <laughs> um, who the friend is the most interesting character in the story. <laughs> uh, lizards always are. Well, yeah, you, you know, anytime you integrate like animals into the story, especially in the way this story integrated the lizard as being such a pivotal and important scene, even though there's just the idea of. You know, a person having a lizard, a desert lizard as a pet is, you know, oh, that's that's nothing, it's nothing. But that's one of the things that sets out um, some good writing, is when you can take something that is nothing, is no big deal, if it were to happen to you on the street today, and, and make it into a big, dramatic moment. Right. Um, you know, that's... That's quality, and and that was actually my favorite part of the story, was the the reveal of the lizard, and that was, it was quite tense. That the scene of of the mysterious stranger entering the camp had a lot of tension to it, and you could see kind of where where things were were going to end up going over the right. course of the story. Yeah, that would
1: be the one part that would probably get cocked up if this were a, a role playing scenario, someone would ch- shoot him
0: right right yep somebody somebody would yeah i I would say if it was our group, somebody definitely would have shot him
1: um it'd be most groups somebody yeah. would have shot him I don't care what anybody says it's It's the fucking wild west you all you're all trigger happy outlaws
0: mm-hmm. everybody's got a gun
1: everyone's got a gun, this guy is unarmed no one no one knows they're in a horror story right okay. shoot him and...
0: yeah i'm going to shoot him and take the lizard
1: i mean there are seriously there are like sometimes i've ran things around like there's no way in hell this is going to turn violent at this point and it does mhm <laughs> just like what the fuck okay cuz that's just how shit works so
0: yep punching nigla at the tap exactly worth a try though i shit i've done it remember when i shot james yep <laughs> all right so that wraps it up for this first part of wicked weird an anthology of wicked new england Hard, new england horror writers keep 30 yeah. luck points keep 30 luck points and we'll talk to you next time